turned it on. Wonderful. Good morning, everybody. Neil's gone downstairs to be with the kids, which is really good, because it'll stop us having a domestic later, because just don't tell him I talked about this. (laughs) It's that time of year. We're all looking forward to Christmas. And for me, the anticipation is the best bit, but... Is this going to be an absolutely fantastic family time? Am I going to get a cool present? Am I going to get the things I want? It's like anticipation's good, isn't it? Sometimes what you get's not so good, but the anticipation's great. Uh, Neil and I were recently in Edinburgh, um, and there are lots of Harry Potter shops there, and I was wandering around, and I saw all these really cool, like Harry Potter merchandising things. There was like at least three hoodies I would have had, and a jumper. If I earned three times what I earn, I would have had. But every time I looked at something, Neil just looked at me and went, you're 54. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, but you're 54. So I put it back. So I put all these Harry Potter jumpers back. I came away with no Harry Potter jumpers. And part of me thinks, maybe on Christmas Day I'll open a present and it'll be a Harry Potter jumper. But I know if Neil gives me something squishy as a present, it's going to be like something like old lady slippers. Because I'm 54. It's not good, that, is it? When you want something cool and you get socks. Anticipation's a wonderful thing. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born gave some prophetic words, which even now, 2,000 years after Jesus' birth, we still associate with Christmas. That's anticipation, isn't it? 700 years in front. 700 years in front. I'm so rubbish at coordinating things that I've got two rotors at church. I'm on the welcome rotor and the preaching rotor, and I still failed to check both rotors, so I ended up with two jobs this morning. My fault. 700 years... Before the first Christmas, God had already told us what was going to happen. That's planning. Reading from Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the, inc- of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What I want to do this morning is look at the words given in Isaiah and how they're fulfilled in the account of Jesus' birth. Um, I'm going to do that from the Gospel of Luke. So I want to look at the announcements made by the angel Gabriel to Zechariah and to Mary. Because I think that there are parallels in in the accounts um, with the Isaiah verses. They relate to light as God reveals his salvation plan. They point to the fulfillment of God's promises as a child is born. And they point to the coming coming of a kingdom which will never end. And spoiler alert, we're actually living in that kingdom now. That's now. So I'm going to read the whole of the Gabriel, Annual Gabriel's announcement to, to Zechariah. 
It's quite a long reading, so bear with me. It's just, this is one of the ones that we tend not to read. Um, And actually, there's some really fantastic stuff in there. So reading from Luke 1, verse 8. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Harry Potter jumpers. (laughs) Saying. (laughs) The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. There's a couple of things I want to pick up about this. Firstly, a bit of background. There are 24 divisions, which consist of roughly 1,000 priests in each division. And each division only serves for two weeks in a year. And then in between, they go home and do their thing. So basically... I think this account begins with God fixing the lottery. Controversial, controversial. But either God fixed the lottery or Gabriel stood there for ages until the statistically unlikely event of Zechariah's lot coming up. So you see, logically, either God fixed it for Zechariah to be chosen or Gabriel just stayed there for ages. God knows the plans he has for us. And he's able to make them happen. We need to worry less about the odds we face and more about our calling as God's people. Odds are nothing to God. God's God. The angel tells Zechariah to call his son John. And John means the Lord is gracious. John, John the Baptist, as he later became known, is given a mission He's given a mission that will go before the Lord in, spirit, in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, this is a huge clue that John's going to be special, but that actually he's just going to herald something more special. He's to go on before. See, that's a huge clue that the Lord himself, Jesus, is about to be physically present on earth. John heralds the arrival of Jesus. And his aim is to turn people back to God. Later on in Luke, verse 76 and 79 of the first chapter, after John's born, 
Zechariah gets his voice back. And he says, he prophesies about his own son. He says, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you, you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. Do you see the link there between that verse and verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 9? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in, a, living in the land of deep darkness, light's dawn. So Isaiah, 700 years ago, is talking about this light coming. And then Zechariah, his first words, after nine months of silence, say that this light's coming. See, Zechariah is saying these words publicly as well. He's saying them at John's circumcision. So the people are assembled, this community are assembled. There'll be scholars and priests. There'll be people who are clever, people who've read the scriptures, people who think, who know? Did they connect it? Did they think, I wonder if this is it? Is the Messiah coming? 700 years of waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. Is that sense of anticipation building? See, Zechariah's silence was broken when in obedience to Gabriel's instructions, I I didn't read this bit out because it's, I've got so much material, I've had to shorten it, so bear with. Um, There's a bit of a kerfuffle at um, at the circumcision because Mary says that the boy's going to be called John. And everybody goes, but... But there aren't any Johns in your family. He should be called Zechariah. Zechariah, tell him to call him Zechariah. So he, he motions over and they give him something to write with. And he writes down, he's to be called John. And they all go, oh, all right then, John. And suddenly he can speak again. I wonder about things like this. So like, Zechariah's gone off to do this two-week duty. He's come back and he can't speak. But we know he can write. I think he probably wrote it all down for uh, Elizabeth. Because otherwise, how did she know to call him John? You know, unless God himself said to, Mary, uh, to Elizabeth as well, call him John. But I, I think he's communicated with his wife, because they're a couple. I think they've shared what the Lord said. And that, that anticipation and that, that growing promise of God has been there between them, shared. The next thing I want to look about is the timing of Gabriel's announcement. Because when you read all of Luke, you find out that Elizabeth becomes pregnant after Zechariah returns home, which is clearly logical. There's a bit in there where it says, where Gabriel says to Zechariah, I've heard your prayers, you'll have a son. And he believed that, but he acted. Because without action, belief doesn't really achieve very much. So he heard the promise, and he believed it. And with his wife, they put into uh, action a course that would change things. But they had to act. So when you go on, you read that when Gabriel, who was very busy at that time of year, as we all are, Uh, When Gabriel comes to speak to Mary, Elizabeth's already pregnant. 
She's in the sixth month. I'm not going to read the whole of that. I'm going to paraphrase it because I just ran out of time. (laughs) But if you want to read it later, read in Luke chapter 1. Read from verse 26 and read all of this and you'll see that I'm not making this up. I'm just paraphrasing it Joe style. You see, basically, Mary's pledged to be married. And the angel Gabriel appears to her, which causes her to be both startled and surprised and afraid. I think they're quite reasonable reactions to an angel appearing. See, I I think that's reasonable. I would be startled and afraid. In verse 31 of Luke 1, Gabriel tells Mary, you'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. See, when we compare that amazing message from Gabriel to Mary with verse 7 in Isaiah 9, you'll see some close similarities. Isaiah says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. That's amazing, isn't it? So much similarity there in what's been said. But it's not that amazing because, like, God's consistent. So, so this is God's plan. And I guess the main point of this morning is I want us to see that, that this is a plan that God had before Jesus was born, a long time before. God had a plan. That plan was to save us all. And He put these pieces in place, He rigged the lottery. So that Zechariah would hear Gabriel in the temple. He could have done that another way. But if he can rig the lottery, why not? Because that had impact. Because then all the other priests knew straight away that something had happened, that God was at work. I think God was stirring up anticipation. Because all the priests in that division knew that Zechariah couldn't speak after something had happened in the Holy of Holies. Anticipation stirring, it's building. People are getting ready for something. Back to Mary. Mary quite reasonably asked Gabriel how these promises will come to pass. And he tells her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. That's one brave lady. I'm the Lord's servant. I've read these verses because Gabriel, with this enormous message from God, underlines it and encourages Mary by saying, Elizabeth's pregnant. Elizabeth's in her sixth month. I think it's a a proof from Gabriel to Mary that God's able to do the miraculous. But it's also pointing to the future when John, the grown-up John, will go before Jesus preparing the way. Mary did what most of us would have done. She packed her bags and went to sea. (laughs) 
That's a sensible thing to do, isn't it? Mary goes to see Elizabeth for herself. And the visit confirms to Mary all that she's been told by Gabriel. Sometimes it's all right to think, that's a bit big, I'm going to talk to somebody about it. I'm going to, I'm going to share it, I'm going to have a sanity check. So Mary rocks up, and Elizabeth's sort of um, staying privately while she's pregnant. She's, she's not seeing many people, but, but Mary goes in, and Luke one forty one tells us that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you'll bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. It's one of the reasons I think that Zechariah and Elizabeth might have been writing messages and just encouraging each other with what the Lord had said. Because this is a massive miracle. You see, I think the greatest encouragements that we can receive are from the people that we're close to the people that we share our life experience with. I can only imagine how terrifying Mary's encounter with Gabriel was and how overwhelming it would be to receive a message like that. But then Elizabeth prophetically speaks to a young relative and confirms to Mary all that she's been told. See, sometimes we look for the big dramatic moments, the big, you know, the speaker on the platform goes, you with a hat, you, sir, with a hat. Thus saith the Lord. And those big moments are fantastic, but actually, you then need to take that big moment to somebody else, somebody that you love, somebody that knows you, and say, the Lord said this to me. And then you need the encouragement of them, and you need to encourage each other. See, God's most likely to use the people around you to encourage you. That's just straightforward sense. Because like the people who are around you, so they can encourage you. See, that's our purpose as church, to spend time together, to build each other up, to encourage each other. Church is important. It's where we grow. It's where we grow individually in our relationship with God, but where we grow together, where we can encourage each other. So if you have those big moments where you think, wow, that's amazing, your natural reaction should be to come to your own brothers and sisters and say, this has been said, what do you think? And to, to receive encouragement, to encourage each other. Because we actually, we all want the best for each other. And then I want to look at another message that's delivered. Uh, there's a message that's delivered to a bunch of shepherds on a hill in chapter 2, verse 11. And this time it's not Gabriel having a private meeting with one person. There's like a bunch of shepherds and there's like a choir of angels. A lot of them. And they give this message. Today in the town of David, a saviour's been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And that's an echo of the verses in Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counsel, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So these angels, a whole raft of them, 
I don't know whether Gabriel was there or not. Choir leading, probably. If you've been there at the other two, you're not going to like miss the big announcement, are you? It's like you've done all the secret meetings and you can't be at the big reveal. That just that'd be that'd be poor. <laughs> and they announced the birth of this child. This child who's going to be wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What they don't announce is the process that Jesus is going to go through for us. This is a joyful announcement of, of this, this baby, this God come to earth, fully man, fully God, who's going to reign over this wonderful kingdom. But we know, because we've read it, that, that actually Jesus' life is, is full of suffering and grief on our behalf. It's wonderful, but he also comes and knows us, knows people, sees our struggles, is with us. And then in the end, he suffers for us. There's some verses later on in Isaiah, in 53, which I, I want to t- share, which are funny verses to share at Christmas or in the run-up. But Isaiah 53, 2 to 4. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. How can both of these prophetic pictures be true? They're both prophetic pictures about Jesus. This, this, this God who's going to reign, the mighty counsellor, the wonderful Prince of Peace, and the man of suffering. How are both true? One's a picture of a child being born to reign in a perfect, enduring kingdom, and the other's a picture of a man who's going to go through a horrible, gruesome death for our sakes. It seems like there are two things here. But actually, our salvation's sometimes like that, isn't it? We've got the victory in Jesus all the time, even when the wheels are coming off and when we face difficulties of all times. We're actually still winners because of Jesus. But we're still facing difficulties of all kinds. That's a paradox, isn't it? We're victorious and we're struggling at the same time. See, there is a big paradox in the Christian life. We're told that we're saved as we are being saved. So because of Jesus' sacrifice, we've got it all now. I am saved. I belong to the Lord. That can't be taken from me. I have faith in God. I have faith that he has covered all my sins. I am saved. But I'm still stupid. (laughs) I'm still a sinner who makes mistakes. But I'm saved. God's covered it all. I've got it now. I'm standing in victory. And I'm fighting a big battle. You see... 
We've got it all, but we're still working towards getting it all. God's revealed everything, but we're still working it out and trying to understand it. And we'll only really get it when we see him face to face. So I'm sorry, if you want the right answers to everything, you're not going to get them while you're still breathing. You're going to get them when you see Jesus face to face. The right answers to everything. But working out is okay, isn't it? And we're working it out together. Actually, it's not that I'm standing in victory and I'm having a battle. You're all there with me in victory and in the battle. That's one of the amazing things God did. He didn't leave us alone. He put us in family. I wrote it down like this when I was prepping. Our future destination is certain, but we're still on the journey. We know where we're going, but we're still getting there. See, the kingdom of God is eternal and dynamic. Isaiah 9, of the greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. There'll be no end. It's dynamic. It's growing. He'll reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. That's true, but we're still working it out. Yeah, those verses are when Gabriel speaks to Mary in Luke one thirty three also says, tells that he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will never end. So if you were there around when all these scriptures have been, like all the Isaiah scriptures have been sort of referred to by Gabriel um, in any of the prophetic public announcements that anybody makes about it, you must be thinking, is it coming? Is it time? We've waited a long time. And of course, this was a people who were like um, occupied by the Romans. So they're looking for a Messiah. They're looking for a saviour. And all these verses, they must be stirring up this anticipation. See, Jesus reigns forever because his sacrifice and suffering paid for all our sins and made it possible for us to enter into his enduring kingdom with him. So, this is not really a very typical Christmas message, is it, apart from socks and jumpers? Except it's all there. It's actually, it's actually all that Gabriel was about, sharing the messages from God with his people. It's all there. This promise is coming. This promise is coming. Remember your promises. Remember your scripture. Remember Isaiah. This is all coming. And, and the messages focus on the birth, because that's where we're at in Jesus' story, in Luke. But I think we need to consider Isaiah 53 as well, and what that birth means. Because actually, in the run-up to Christmas, we need to remember that salvation doesn't begin with the cradle, or even an angel scaring two ordinary people. Salvation begins with God's incredible love, devising a plan for salvation that starts way back, that he's talking to us about way, way back because he cares for us so much that he lines it all up. He lines it up, he shares it with us through his prophets so that there's a clue that salvation's coming. He tells us that God's kingdom will be established on earth 
through the presence of Jesus, who was totally God and totally man. It's amazing, isn't it? This is Christmas. Not whether or not I get a Harry Potter jumper or socks. It's that we get to remember that Jesus came for us. But he didn't come to be just an adorable, cuddly little baby with the promise of being an eternal prince. He came to walk the hard miles with us. He came to understand humanity so that by understanding it, he could save us. So, can we have the band back, please? So actually, I guess, I'm sorry, I'm sorry if I haven't talked enough about little babies and stars. But I think this is amazing. I think it's amazing that God cared so much for each person in this room that his plan starts way, way back from the first time we mess up. But by 700 years before Jesus is born, he's given us massive clues. He's given us huge pointers to what he's going to do. So that when, when he reveals his plan, when it comes together, we can look back and know that it, it was God. God who created everything. God who planned everything. God who spoke it all into being, who spoke you into being, coming. So I'm going to hand back over to the band. This Christmas, let's, what's the challenge? What's the challenge? I guess this Christmas, the challenge is, let's encourage each other. Let's encourage each other to remember that we're part of this magnificent, huge, plan that spans all generations that comes into sharp focus when Jesus is born and that's just fantastic isn't it I've said enough I'm going to pray and get off here Father we want to thank you that you cared 